0: and welcome back to Hero with a Thousand Potions, a gaming podcast where two game-likers in their thirties discuss the storytelling and gameplay of popular niche RPGs in a book club-like format. I'm Tyler. And I am so done. It's season two. We're covering Final Fantasy VII Remake and its parallel content in the original game, released back in 1997. Today... We're going to wrap up chapter 13, try to get through all of chapter 14. And uh, that starts with uh, us getting into the secret Shinra test site that we found underneath Wedge's house. The deep throat. The deep darkness. Yeah. Oh, deep ground. Sorry. Not not
1: deep throat. Sorry, Nixon.
0: Sorry, Nixon. <laughs>
1: anyway. Uh, yeah. I, I, what? What's Go like? ahead. What were you going to say?
0: What are you up to? How you doing? how we uh, how we doing man
1: i'm I'm tired. Uh, this is probably gonna be our last recording for a little bit because I'm gonna be traveling and such. And so kind of getting everything in the house like buttoned up and squared away before we we start that journey. It's just me and my three year old because my wife is still deployed, so it's just gonna be me and my kid traveling by ourselves so wish me luck wish me patience i think we'll do all right but yeah so probably not going to be until the new year until we step back into the theoretical booth
0: we've got holidays to celebrate yeah something like that where are you going man well
1: there's this little town uh you might have heard of it called eau claire wisconsin oh my god can we hang out we'll see i mean (laughs) uh yeah i've got things to figure out but because i don't have a car or anything like that so i'm at the whims of other people but yeah you know we could probably make something happen
0: that might be fun that might be fun
1: we could do a recording on an, an in-person impromptu because i also won't have any game stuff with me so I just like shoot the shit maybe yeah
0: shoot the shit or maybe like do like a mailbag thing <laughs> together because we have I- so much mail
1: yeah, yeah, open our yeah. two emails, respond to our two mm-hmm. emails. Oh, we'll put it out to the to the Discord or we could read mean comments from our YouTube channel. Oh yeah, that's fun. Together. I think
0: that would be fun. That'll be a fun yeah. little thing.
1: Here, I got you uh I got you one here. Um it's in uh all caps. Good god, cry me a fucking river. Dude, you are a buzzkill. Stop complaining. <laughs> <laughs> or, or this gem, uh, boo-hoo, get over it, man. Don't get why people act entitled. You played it, it's done, it's over. Uh, that was in response to me, like, not liking them, kind of sunsetting the uh, Wrath of the Lich King yeah, the classic server, mm-hmm. right? And uh, so my response to that guy saying that I'm entitled for, you know, thinking that we should preserve our gaming experiences, right? Um, my response to him was, go throw all the games you own in the trash because by his logic if you've beaten it you played it it's done it's over right so just throw every game you've ever completed right in the garbage because boohoo you're entitled if you feel like you know what? i think i i might want to play that again <laughs> you know anyway mm. so uh yeah well we could we could do that we could see how many mean comments i accrue in the next couple weeks before we're able to sit down together
0: it's a rough life being a fledgling YouTube channel.
1: Uh, I wouldn't even say it's fledgling. It's like if I don't do like a clickbait, <laughs> I don't. I do not even. I didn't even try and do it. Like I have a topic that I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. I boil down the idea to the most base concept that I can put into a thumbnail. So one of them is called. uh, I, I don't know. Did I talk about this before? I said follower dungeons. Let's rune WoW more. <laughs> And pe- people interpret that as saying, you know, the thumbnail It's I'm saying that follower dungeons are ruining WoW, right? But if you actually watch the video one minute in, I say, I like follower dungeons. Here's a dozen other ideas I have that all of you are going to complain about that I'm going to ruin WoW, right? So I'm being a little playful and funny with it. I wouldn't even call it a fledgling channel because that requires people to actually watch the videos and not just like knee-jerk hate comment you know Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. so
1: anyway anyways I'm not too torn up about it I enjoy uh, I'm gonna try and crank out a Parasite Eve series and I have no illusions that like anyone's even gonna watch it I just wanna do it I just wanna like create my PE cut
0: you said series are you playing multiple games
1: no 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 what I'm gonna do is the game takes place over six days right and they give you the specific days of the the Christmas season, right? Mm-hmm. So day one is Christmas Eve, day two is Christmas, and then the following week. So I'm going to do one video for each day, and then uh, release them on the days of the week that they are corresponding to.
0: Oh, cool! Cool.
1: Kind of the same thing I did with folklore, except folklore is a little more vague. It starts with like the. The Celtic equivalent of Halloween night Mm -hmm. and then it's kind of vague how many more nights take place after that so I just did that on a chapter to chapter basis but I started that with the goal of trying to get it all out by November 1st and it was pretty fun Mm -hmm. and that also has like each video has like six views of it three of them which are me (laughs) nobody watches it but I don't care because I have fun doing it
0: I bet you'll get uh, more traction on Parasite Eve maybe maybe I think it, it occupies a bigger space in the general minds of gamers. Sure. Shall we get underground, Nate? Yeah. What is there even to talk about in this dungeon? It's none of what's going on tonight is, is in original. Let's get that out there right away. If you've played remake and original, you already know this. This is the patterning the dungeon. Mm-hmm. But uh, as you mentioned at the end of the last episode, that it's adjacent content to Dirge of Cerberus, the... Vincent Valentine third person shooter from on the on the PlayStation 2, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: There's a little bit of overlap with OG potentially in that I think there there are two narratively important things that they do accomplish in this chapter even though it is like you said it's filler for sure. So yeah. we can kind of get to that once we get there. But someone could make the case that the um kind of the underground lab where experiments are being done on monsters and potentially people and things like that also leans into the Nibelheim reactor from OG Final Fantasy VII. Mm. So so it's not completely pulled out of their ass. Like it's not entirely dependent on like you need to know Dirge of Cerberus to understand what's going on here. But we had no indication that that kind of Nibelheim-esque Thing was going on in Midgar 2 until it was. And spoilers here. I don't know if you, why anyone would care about having Dirge spoiled for them, but, uh, you know, spoilers here for Dirge. Um, The kind of entire plot of that game revolves around the fact of like finding out that there was a secret like system of labs and a whole other side of Shinra underground right and they were their whole organization was called deep ground and so there's like special troops there's special enhanced super soldiers Um, it kind of in a way I don't know if I'd feel this way if I played the game today but I felt like back in the day I was inspired even just a little bit kind of like by Metal Gear like Mm. consider not that you're playing stealthily at all but the kind of setup of like Each Metal Gear game, or at least the Metal Gear Solid series, each game is kind of set up where you're Snake, and then very early on in the game, you get this like roster of almost like super villain bad guys. Technically, they're just like regular ass humans who are like uh, shadow operatives, but they all have like a specific kind of like X Men mutant power of some sort, uh, one way or the other, that like sets them apart and very early in the metal gear games in each of them they're they're like all right this guy is vulcan raven revolver ocelot uh what's the other one uh psycho mantis you know
0: they sound like Mega Man x enemies
1: exactly and like (laughs) and it's all like you know that's the code name of it everything so Um, in Dirge of Cerberus very early in the game when they kind of blow the lid off this existence of this deep ground group they all have I can't remember all their names but it's all like a you get the full like roster of enemies shown to you and they all have like a specific unique attribute about them that makes them special and everything so I kind of I remember it being more of like one of those types of kind of almost like a comic book in a way was mm-hmm. the plot of Dirge of Cerberus more than what I would come to expect from Final Fantasy right mm-hmm. and um so if somebody's going to make the argument it's like well the the secret labs were part of OG it's like yes but this here everything we're kind of seeing going on here is much more I would say validated by the existence of Dirge's plot than anything in
0: OG. That makes a lot of sense having not played Dirge of Cerberus myself. Yeah. Well, I tried.
1: Do you have an emulator for it? You tried or back? I the tried it
0: on the Steam Dex emulator. And it apparently, according to the to the emulation, the particular emulator's community, that it's just notorious for not for not being well adjusted to the emulator environment.
1: That'll happen I found that it all depends on, like, shaders and, like, what the amount of effects that the game has on it. So, Mm -hmm. games that, that I would say, like, kind of honestly present themselves of, like, 3D models in a 3D space. They work pretty well on PS2 emulators. And then it's typically, like, the JRPGs that they, when they're doing attacks and spells, there's a lot of things that it's, like, these are more so, like shading effects and images printed on the screen and like when you try and s- scale them or translate them or whatever they just get chewed through this system that they get puked out or just like crash games entirely <laughs> and uh, without that original PS2 chip to digest them like we still haven't cracked the code apparently on some of those effects mm-hmm. and everything mm-hmm. so yeah that's I've noticed that too that PS2 emulation is kind of uh, a crapshoot in a lot of cases
0: yeah, very well. Maybe we do like a Dirge of Cerberus scene by scene watching party sometime. Oh, God. Make that an episode. Yeah. Maybe. So, as you might recall at the end of the last episode, our party is split and we begin with Barrett. It's a Barrett solo dungeon for the most part. And I find that pretty interesting that we have a Barrett solo part because if you remember a few episodes ago, I said that there was going to be an Atifa solo mini episode or part of an episode that was cut from the game and it makes me wonder if they were going to do that for every character and that the barrett one stayed and the, and the tifa one got cut but that's just that's just a thought i had and anyways i'm um, so weird in this deep underground <laughs> deep underground deep ground possibly feet deep ground facility uh barrett's destroying heavy debris blocking his way with his gun arm you get a special prompt that tells you that you can blow things away like big piles of rubble and chunks of rock they're all like cave you can blow away caved in obstacles to continue your way through the path and that's what we do um we've got fights with were rats bloodhounds bugaboos which is a new enemy there are small swarming insects there's a lot of one-armed ladder climbing which uh nate and i have memed a lot about in xenoblade chronicles with dunbin dunbin is an excellent one-armed ladder climber and and baird is just as good
1: um did we mention in the last episode, the fact that we saw Wedge behind, like, a a glass wall there before we get into the dungeon proper. Did we? I didn't see that. Well, that's, the, I mean, that's the whole separation thing. We follow Wedge's cat into this facility. We're going down underground, under the wreckage. We follow the cat. We see Wedge behind a, a glass wall. Uh, I don't know, like a display wall, you know, or whatever. And and he's like passed out. He's not reacting or anything. He's on the ground. And we move to like try and get him from the other side of the room and we fall Mm -hmm. through the floor. So that's how we got separated. Is that Uh, how it happened? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. Got it.
1: And after that separation, I mean, you don't, there isn't any like, Cloud, are you there? Yeah, I'm on the other side. There's none of that. It's like you're completely separated.
0: Mm -hmm. About halfway through the dungeon, we start hearing this roaring. And it's quiet at first, and there's a little prompt that appears that tells you that something's roaring over there. And it gets louder as you navigate to the next room and the next room, and eventually you find out where it's coming from. There's this closed-off freight door, haphazardly covered in caution tape and whatever it is it's behind there we can't access it now but we'll be coming back later sure eventually we catch up to tifa and she's in a large room with huge bugaboo bugboo nests and we destroy these because we're we've got ranged abilities here with barrett poor tifa doesn't able to, to smash the nests on her own and then tifa joins the party in the next area, there's more enemies, there's mono drives. there's Cutters, those Magitech Armor guys, and uh, the Vargidpolis, Var, Var, Vargidpolis uh, that like swirly, slim, ghost-like magical creature. You can you can see them in the Eclapsed Expressway as well. Six eyes, it looks like. Yeah, six eyes like running down its skinny torso, Mephisto-like. If you assess them, it says you can learn an enemy skill from it, but I don't have an enemy skill materia yet. Apparently you get one from Chadley after completing battle Intel battle Intel report 16 in which you will have assessed a total of 30 unique enemies. I
1: thought you were the assess God here.
0: I did get the enemy skill material later on in this chapter, but I haven't equipped it and I haven't gone enemy skill farming yet. Right. Apparently there's only like four in the game.
1: Yeah. Oh, I've got a couple of them already. Um, I think, yeah, the Chadley stuff, like, the assess is one thing, but there's also the challenges of, like, staggering every minion type, and to me, that's just too much bullshit to deal with, to keep track of who I have and have not staggered and all that, it's like, no thanks, I'm out. (laughs) Chadley, you're gonna have to Mm -hmm. get out there and do some of your own damn research. Go on Facebook, (laughs) do your own research.
0: Excellent. What enemy skills do you have?
1: That's a great question. Uh, I know that I, one of them I have is self destruct from bomb, where uh, mm. you can just fucking kill yourself. There was one time I used, like, I wanted to see it, like, you know, is it okay? You know, I do fifty percent damage to myself or something like that. And so I think I was going through the collapse expressway and I was surrounded by bandits. And you know how when you finish a fight, the whoever died has one HP well i i had enemy skill on cloud i clicked the button he was surrounded by bandits and then a second later i just get the prompt of like all the experience rewarded and he's at one hp and i'm like oh he literally just completely blew himself up and killed everyone around him so uh yeah
0: it is a strategy
1: it's not a strategy that i am going to use but it I guess it wouldn't hurt if you've got a good healer and all the, like, MP reduction materia and weapon things and all that. Probably Mm -hmm. min-maxing wouldn't be that bad of a thing to do, but it's not my cup of tea. I have other enemy skills. I don't remember what they are.
0: Okay. We'll talk about them in the future. Sure. Sure. Eventually, we find Wedge. He's lied down, passed out in a big room. Great big room. He's okay. Tifa thanks the cat, who goes meow. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Again, real cat, not an anime cat. No white gloves on
0: its hands. No red cape. As we leave, a freight door closes behind us, and we're attacked by a gang of humanoid mutants. If you assess them, they're called unknown entities. Their bodies and faces are covered in tough ashen colored carapace with glowing peach colored streaks that show the contours of their muscles and their viscera they have a tentacle with a stinger uh, on the end that comes out the back of their necks they can stand on two legs or they can run on all fours and uh, they attack us tying back to what you said nate maybe five or ten minutes ago these are supposed to be the same types of creatures that cloud saw when he looked into the capsule in the Nibelheim reactor a long time ago, right?
1: Yeah, but I don't. They look too different to me. They don't look human enough and when they run around, they like the animator clearly referenced uh, like gorillas or monkeys when they when they had the animations for these cuz they're walking mm. on the the knuckles of their hands and kind of you know the when when you watch monkeys run they have that do 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 like rhythm to how they're using all four of their limbs. Mm-hmm. These guys are doing that. So they're not reading as human in their actions. They're, they don't have like a swagger to them or like any sort of you know I guess evolutionary in evolutionary theory you could say well yes they do, but you get what I'm saying. Like I'm getting animal from these And then they don't have faces either. It's like this. uh, Best thing I can say is like, if you've ever played the Kingdom Hearts series.
0: yep, I played the first one.
1: Yeah, these look like Kingdom Hearts enemies to me. Uh, Everything in Kingdom Hearts kind of has this like, like twisted, uh, even if it's an organic form of life, it has this like almost, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, nomura's art style come to life physically Mm. and and there's these like neat little twists and curves and like neon accents to their carapace and everything that it's just like okay this doesn't look like the uh kind of the if you remember in og when cloud looks into that bubble there's like an eldritch horror kind of sense like the uh i'm gonna look up the picture but in a moment but right now I'm gonna say like he's got like his lips are pulled back to pull to have like exposed teeth there's tentacles on the side of his face the eye sockets are kind of hollowed out in a way right Mm -hmm. feel like I'm remembering that correctly and these guys are not that in the slightest I'm not getting that human horror element from them that honestly the way the original fucking creeped me out as a kid like that was a shocking stunning moment to look up into that tube and be like oh oh yeah Mm -hmm. that is that is creepy that is like Mm -hmm. unsettling and these guys don't do that for me they just they look like again they kind of look like a a very stylish enemy not a scary or horrifying one looking up final fantasy 7 test tube guy not getting the result
0: i want (laughs) According to the Crisis Core Bestiary, we fight these kind of guys okay. in Crisis Core, and they're called Makonoids. Mm. I'm reading off a paragraph at uh, the fantasy.fandom.com Makonoids appear in, a, in battle during the Hojo's Monsters mission in Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII. Makonoids are mutants held in containment units inside the Nibble Reactor. Cloud Strife, Zach Fair, and Sephiroth... Encounter the containment units while investigating the Mako reactor during what would later become known as the Nibbleheim Incident. They discover Professor Hojo's experiments have transformed humans into Makonoids. The machines the Makonoids are inside of are designed to condense Mako energy into materia, but Hojo has modified them to instead expose a human to the condensed Mako energy, mutating them. It is also implied that the Makonoids being created via modified containment units was the cause of the Nibble reactor's malfunction via broken purification tanks. One Makonoid bursts out of the machine, ultimately dying in agony. Makonoid, Nate.
1: Yeah, I can't find a good picture from anyone on...
0: uh, Are you referring to that picture that they show you in the game? Yeah. I typed in FF7 Nibelheim monster in reactor, and I got it in the results. Okay. FF7 Nibelheim monster in reactor.
1: Oh yeah, I was right. It's completely different.
0: It is completely different.
1: And my description I gave before pulling up the picture in any respect that I haven't seen in you know a while because this is beyond what we play through uh, so I haven't played this in at least a little bit uh, these things are uh, scary as hell in the original and there is a scene where one bursts out of a tank and like screams at you you know mm-hmm. and and these m- apparently Makonoids that we're fighting underground here in remake. They don't even have mouths from what I'm seeing to scream at you. So even if you heard like a squeal or a, you know, whatever. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah. All that to say everything, the last five minutes of our discussion, I would prefer if these guys were what we ran into underground here in remake, that would have given me a little bit more connective tissue to, what I want to see
0: going on here. Sure. Right. Yeah, I get that. I guess Square Enix reserves the right to say, well, they make this kind of machonoid and that kind of machonoid. But this is an unknown entity. They didn't call it a machonoid in in the assess materia assessment. Which is kind of a failure of the assessment materia. I mean, you don't just get to spit out unknown entity and call it a day. I need to know what this shit is.
1: <laughs> it definitely like uh they you find out that the assessment materia is just linked into an outdated Shinra database of like, oh yeah, we we didn't enter those guys in yet, so sorry. You don't get any mm-hmm. accurate information
0: on those. Like uh, uh, uh assess materia, try again. <laughs> you take its shoulders, you turn it around, and you push it out again. Oh boy. But regardless, uh, so we do battle with them and they attack us in swarms, and eventually we get the idea that we need to, like, put an end to this to this non-stop swarm because it's just not ending. And Barrett tasks Tifa with closing the duct that they're pouring out of. She gets onto an elevated platform in front of the duct, and then enormous mutant, like, he looks kind of like the others, but even more ugly, bursts out of the floor and knocks her off of it flawlessly. Barrett catches her and tosses her back up onto the... The elevated platform with his free arm and uh, i assess this bad boy and he is the failed experiment now nate i'm lost here at this point because i feel like a boss battle is on and i don't get what i'm supposed to do next am i supposed to close the duct or the big boy i mean there are no consoles or switches up here there are no ducts themselves that are targetable the only things that are targetable up here that i can see are just the small boys and the big boy and so I just kill whatever I can get my hands on until something happens.
1: Yeah, I was in the exact same boat here. They highlight the duct, like, you gotta do something about it. There's nothing to actually do about it. They highlight the fact that the big monster is, like, closing in on you by destroying pieces of the catwalk you're on. So you feel like, oh, am I on a ticking clock here? Is this, you know, whatever... And so you might think, okay, well, I need to switch to my other character to accomplish some goal, like distract him, do whatever. And you can't really distract him or turn him away with Barrett in any capacity. Mm -hmm. What happens is when you run out of catwalk, Tifa just jumps down onto the floor with Barrett. So even in what I perceived to be my fail state, it was absolutely an upgrade combat wise for it to happen because it's like oh my characters aren't separated anymore
0: that's good that's how it worked it was they just destroyed enough of the dock that that's that's what triggered the next thing
1: at least in my perception he he destroyed enough of the catwalk where she's like okay I guess I'll jump down to bear now
0: good enough for me
1: if that's not what happened there's some like uh, mechanics or gameplay thing that I missed it still kind of validates the point of like what the fuck's going on here that I didn't actually know what was going on mm-hmm. so You know, it is what it is.
0: I was thankful for
1: it. It felt better once we were together. There wasn't really anything interesting about the separated... You know, we've played games where they separate your party. One person has to do one thing. The other person has to do the other. Bada bing, bada boop. It's fun. This wasn't that.
0: That would be fine, but we weren't really clear on what anybody's task was. I mean, it's easy to say I do not know what Tifa's task was, but I don't know Barrett's either. Waste time, basically. Waste time. Okay, so... um. Let me talk to you about the failed experiment. Uh, tentacles are targetable. If you do enough damage to him, he will drop to his knees. And then he exposes a glowing yellow heart. Nate, when something huge drops to his knees, and exposes a glowing piece of its center. What do you do to it?
1: Big damage. All cooldowns. You pop a... Uh, what is it? Um, can't think of it. I call it wings. You pop wings, but it's the uh, damage boost for Retribution Paladin sure um
0: your you, blood you lost pop, your heroism
1: yeah you pop wings you hit the big buttons you uh you blow your cooldown uh as my warlock i drop the infernal on them mm-hmm. i d- use all my shards to fire off several chaos bolts at the target um so yeah uh, we all know what's
0: going on here right ice spells rapidly fill its gauge but i don't have any equipped on me uh and melee And uh, melee attacks of all kinds does reduce damage on him. On Phase 1, before Tifa joins, he has abilities like he lashes at you with his tentacles. He can leap onto you. He can grab a hero with a tentacle and smash you to the ground. He uh, binds heroes with tentacles. He sprays poison bombs. And it also has a roar that stuns. When Tifa jumps down, we're at Phase 2 now, it can command its friends to do a variety of things. Like they'll cast Thundaga onto it, which will heal him will cast Reflect or Shield onto themselves, and they can also discharge Lightning Orbs. He will also grab his little friends and throw them at us. This is
1: one hell of a tangent, but I immediately was reminded of a video I saw of Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this, somebody out there. Uh, I know, Tyler, you haven't played the game, but I think Halflings or some sort of diminutive race have a throw ability. And so I saw a video where... Somebody just made a party that they and their friends of four people, four halflings, all naked, all just throwing their bodies at each other and absolutely decimating the enemies at every turn with the throw ability. Yeah, it was fucking OP and then it, the best part was like there's four of them so then the, like, the NPC party members <laughs> would join the fight story wise like you're riding this big ship at the beginning of the game not big spoilers it's almost immediately so you meet one of the uh, NPCs and they're like hey dude, let's let's free ourselves from our bonds together and the halfling just runs up throws them off a cliff and keeps going what? and so they played the entire like this video like the first two or three hours of the game just throwing each other at their enemies on their turns (laughs) and I was like this is hilarious so I thought about that I'm like this guy probably did the the throw uh, game when he played Baldur's Gate Mm. that's where he got the idea this part of the fight was a lot more fun and you know um, I think there's an equal amount of like highlighting hey you should attack this thing to weaken him Hey, he's going to do this. You should defend. <clears throat> hey, he's weak to this. Use this ability. Oh, there are ads. Attack those ads so that he doesn't have a resource to throw at you, etc. It feels like there's a balance of all sorts of interesting things happening at this phase in the fight. And, and maybe it's because you only have two characters that maybe the stakes are a little bit higher than usual with mm-hmm. the three characters splashing everything or whatever. And, you know, again, Tifa, I mentioned this before, but her star shower ability is so visually and combat satisfying on how it just drops amazing AoE on enemies. So, like, all of this, I'm going to just highlight this moment here of, I'm having fun. So that later in the game, when I tell you I'm not having fun, we have like a a, a true north to look at. And, and this isn't even one of the best fights in the game. It's just like an example of a uh, what I'd feel like is a well-balanced fight of having both mechanics, but also the ability to just play and do interesting things and make choices.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't a particularly memorable fight for me i didn't have ice on me i wish i did i guess it was kind of slow and trudged through it okay yeah
1: i think it was dependent on using those weaknesses popping him open getting rid of the ads so that they weren't fucking with you and uh you know uh, it kind of all gelled for me at least sure
0: so he dies so he dies nate
1: (laughs) That's about yeah. I mean, there is there isn't any real story relevance to this. We do there is relevance to being down here that we'll cover in a second. But this guy, I mean, failed experiment. I feel like that's a that's a bit of a heavy term to use in this game because uh, if we think back to Final Fantasy VII OG, the how do I say this? The title of failed experiment mm. is a very mm. important title to a very specific person, right?
0: Yes. And
1: this this guy is not that. So anyway, if this is the case, if every one of these dumbasses just running around is a failed experiment, I wonder how many success is Sephiroth the only successful experiment, and everything else is just a massive fuck up. Like you know, uh, I f- I feel like. Hojo is, like, he's throwing the spaghetti against the fridge and seeing what sticks, and there's one noodle on there. The rest, the floor, (laughs) the floor is just swimming in noodles, and there's one noodle on the fridge.
0: And its name is Sephiroth. Yeah,
1: it's in the shape of an S.
0: (laughs) He's like, oh my god, it's a sign. Goodness me. So, in the glory kill scene, it isn't Barrett or Tifa that gets the final blow, Cloud comes out of nowhere and kill steals the shit out of the battle. Barrett big blasts him against a wall and then he doesn't come back up. So he's dead. Barrett asks cloud how he found us. And cloud says, well, I followed the trail of bullet holes. Nice. Very funny. Oh, and we
1: joked last episode uh, about how in OG and a little bit here in remake Barrett is shooting at the sector seven rubble. Well, throughout this whole dungeon, you can actually shoot and destroy rubble as we discussed. So Cloud is able to follow a legitimate path of holes. So he's not just being like facetious or like snarky here. That is what Bear was doing. But it's kind of funny that in the past, like, there's this like, what am I going to do? Shoot my way through? It's like, well, yes, we now know you can do that with your gun. Uh, And I think, I think to like his ultimate weapon later in the game, how he can just make like a. Solar volcano beam from his gun, and uh, I was like, Well, he definitely can clear some rubble with that thing now in the future once we get that weapon.
0: I kind of wonder if Cloud also followed the sound of the 100,000 bullets ringing through the air <laughs> over the course of the dungeon and the boss fight.
1: Where does he get his ammo from? Iron tablets. Is it like spirit ammo? Yeah, yeah is he producing them from his mind like there is there is a suspension
0: of disbelief here. Yeah, someone explain that to us. Yeah, I don't know. Rule of cool. Rule of cool big time. Yeah. Uh so the boss
1: when we, when he gets killed he he crashes into a wall and that wall collapses giving us access to another area that we choose not to explore. Uh the reason being there are those signature Shinra test tubes in this area that we choose not to follow up on. And these tubes are not like the ones in OG Nibelheim where they've got a little kind of porthole window to them. These are like open glass cylinders. So you can see malformed people inside the tubes. And uh, so this little story beat here that they give us is kind of the... Um, the answer to what was going on in Elmira's house of like, Aerith went with them willingly and Barrett and Tifa having this like thing of, you know, well maybe she'll be fine. She knows what she's doing. She's dealt with them before. And I think even Elmira was like, don't again, don't kick the horns nest. She's done this. This is part of her life. She knows how to get through this and cloud being the only one that's like, no, I have a feeling. I know this company. I know these people. And we know from OG that those very tubes that those people are in cloud has been in one of them. And we see and remake a flash of that. I believe uh, of him reliving that moment of that's exactly being, right. Being one of these experiments. So from his perspective, you can't give Shinra that benefit of the doubt. And now he's showing the other two of like, you know, You guys hate Shinra, sure, but you don't know them the way I do. Like, it isn't just about the, there is a level of, like, yeah, they're a giant evil corporation, right? There's another, like, we talked about kind of the Xenogears-esque factions within Shinra here. And I did a little bit of research on it. I guess President Shinra is, he does have his fingers basically in every pie in this company. He he is making decisions of like, yeah, I want bioweapons and I want this and I want that. So I, I was wrong to think that like, okay, there's people that specifically want one thing out of the company and people want another thing. So uh, I'll get rid of that theory of mine, but it does feel like uh, the, the front facing evils of the corporation are one thing, and now with this scene here added to the game, our we we all knew this, but now our party is getting this additional look that Cloud has into the belly of the beast.
0: It's interesting to me that you mentioned that witnessing the tanks here in Midgar has galvanized Cloud to rescue Tifa all the more Aerith. than he did before. I meant to say Aerith, <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> The Matifa brain stooge.
1: I think Cloud was always 100% on it. And, you know, he didn't really know, like, he knew he has to go after Aerith. And they don't know how to get topside just yet. And so, in his mind, he's like, this is his next goal. He doesn't know how he's going to do it. And then they say, well, we got to go check on Sector 7. See if we can do anything for survivors. He's Our Cloud here in Remake is a little bit more empathetic. And he's healed those onion layers a bit faster than OG Cloud. So I think he's he's down for that mission to help people and get in on that first mm-hmm. whereas in OG we kind of saw Cloud just like walking away from the destruction and being like I got to go find Earth, <laughs> you know. Uh, so I think he was always 100% in on it and I think this was for this revelation was for Barrett and Tifa to galvanize them specifically.
0: Do they see what's going on in that room? I don't remember them talking about it or digesting it in any sort of way.
1: I think that there is a commentary of them all kind of looking in there and Cloud saying to them, this is the Shinra I know. Oh, God, were those people? Yeah, that's the Shinra I know. Essentially saying like to them, look in there. This is what we're dealing with here like
0: this being like the demonstrative this yeah this uh,
1: almost implying like this is what's going to happen to Aerith. this is what they want out of her is you know she's she's not just like oh yeah we're going to work together to find the promised land it's like they're going to find a way to not need her because they're going to poke and prod her until they get that genetic code of whatever an ancient is out of her right and from Cloud's perspective, maybe that's validated in the existence of Sephiroth, because he knows that A, Sephiroth is an experiment, and B, Sephiroth thinks he's an ancient, right? So, that's another reason to think that Aerith is not safe with them.
0: Mm-hmm. We only get a glimpse in that Cloud flashback before dusty ghosts, out of nowhere, smash into us, like, from the room... Towards us as a means to push us away from the room, from gathering any more information about what we're seeing, and we're all dragged out of the dungeon, wedge and kitty cat included. Almost
1: like you know we're we're heavily into we know what what's going on with the ghost now. At this point, we can infer what's happening. Like the ghosts are saying, this is too much. Okay, we we gave you your you your extra little dungeon here. But going down this path is too far off the train tracks here. Like we will placate you have your little, um, butt joke boy here. Uh, he's alive. That's fine. We're not worried that he's going to shake up the narrative too much by being alive in this version of events. So here have him, but get out of here. You're way too off the path now.
0: And that's how we get out of the dungeon. It's weird. We go right past it. We don't talk about it
1: mm-hmm.
0: at all. We have another vague conversation about what happened to Biggs and Jesse. Again, no one says anything concrete about like whether they're dead or not. And I get that it's because they don't really know what happened to them, but the writing feels like it's not able to allow the characters to say keywords or phrases like, I think they're dead. Mm. And they're just pussyfooting around with shit like, We saw how badly they were hurt. And by the way, who saw how badly they were hurt? I didn't see them. They just looked
1: dirty and exhausted to me. We've talked about this a little bit in the past, but I'm now almost a hundred percent certain of something because I'm going to jump a little bit ahead in our discussion here, but I think it's uh, as you're talking about the language, I think I have a like sister point to bring up. That's absolutely perfect. Right. We previously, we talked about the Don Corneo bride thing. He's looking for a bride right and if this is like a one-off thing where you like all right you know the don's been at it for years he's ready to settle down he's looking for a wife he's in the market right we see one instance of this event but now in a forthcoming chapter that we'll cover we find out that the looking for a quote unquote bride thing is a very, very regular occurrence and that all the women immediately go missing after they're selected. So it's almost like everyone knows what's up, but even in universe, knowing that this is not what's happening, they use the word bride. And like, like you're (laughs) saying with this, uh, with this inability to say our friends died, our friends were murdered. Are, they're fucking dead. Like, <laughs> there's also an inability for other adult themes for people to say, like, I'll say what it is plainly here. Don Corneo isn't looking for a bride; he's looking for a whore, right? Like a prostitute in the like classic sense of the word. And these girls are signing up of like, oh yeah, I'll I'll get down with him if it means I you know get a fat paycheck from the guy who runs the city, right? There's actually a um, a dialogue you can hear with people in Wall Market where there's a couple kind of talking in a back alley and th- like they are a couple. And the the woman says, like, hey, if I just do this this one time, we'll be set for life. So don't worry about it, honey. And it's like, OK, that's not bride talk <laughs> like you already have your partner. So I think we've talked about this kind of three or four times now where there's something about this game where I think because of the age rating or because of them not wanting to get a mature tag on it or something like that. They just, they made the decision. <clears throat> we're not going to talk about like our friend's bodies being crushed in debris or like, we're not going to talk about them being dead. We're also not going to talk about prostitution or love hotels or whatever. We're going to just dance around these topics
0: and dance around we do
1: yeah so that'll be the last time i bring it up i think we've conclusively put it to bed that there's some weird dialogue happening here in these cases
0: but the this final conversation that we have as we're walking away from the the dungeon here it does end on a really positive or i don't know if the positive notes right but a as a good Feel good resolution to it.
1: I was going to say Barrett is the ultimate optimist because our last episode, I talked about how like this is his first real taste of defeat and him not just getting fully fucking away with his antics. And even with everyone dead after this mission and seeing what's at stake, he's like, all right, here we go. Let's do this. And it's like, oh, Barrett, love you, man. But you might want to have a little bit of a plan here. Something. Something. Before you get this excited.
0: This is the conversation that's helping the group move past what happened to Biggs and Jesse. They're like, they're down. Mm -hmm. Things are bad. And then what comes out of Tifa's lips is something that Elmira said in her flashback scenes when we were last speaking with her. She says simply, they returned to the planet, which is basically quoting Aerith. Then Barrett says, they were supposed to return to us, which is a little heartbreaking. And then he says, but if we stop now, they'll never let us live it down. They being the spirits of Jesse and Biggs. So we carry that weight. They've returned to the planet. They were supposed to return to us. But if we stop now, they'll never let us live it down. So we carry that weight the responsibility of doing them right is the burden they bear the cross they bear the responsibility that they take upon themselves to go forward and it is that motivation their dedication to their to their friends that have reintegrated into the life stream that helps them move past the tragedy and continue forward
1: mm-hmm.
0: the scene ends with Barrett carrying the literal weight of wedge on his shoulder while tifa carries the the cat. <laughs>
1: what do you What do you think about the addition of this dungeon in this chapter? Uh, did you Did you enjoy it?
0: I enjoy it more knowing that it has connections to other facets of the FF Seven verse. Okay. I think it's interesting that we got buried all by his lonesome, and he had his own special mechanic. I think that was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. I think it's absurd that it's just under Wedge's house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I don't like dusty ghosts, like ripping me away from like natural reactions or natural progressions of things. Sure. But that's what remake is all about.
1: Right. I I wonder, um, we got rebirth coming down the pipe and we also haven't, I haven't digested the content of integrate the extra DLC stuff. So I wonder how much, I wonder if they're going to satisfyingly be able to re-digest all of the kookiness of the side games into something that feels mainline Final Fantasy 7 ish Because I would say most everything we're experiencing so far in Remake preserves a majority of the spirit of the original. Like you you said, Dusty Ghosts, they have their own problems they introduce that we can address at the end of the podcast but everything else i feel either respects or mostly enhances the experience of the original in that there are some there are many many scenes here from remake that i feel like just give me the same context but more of it right so i wonder are they going to be able to re regurgitate extra Final Fantasy stuff to me like when it comes time to fully explore those things in a way that doesn't suck as much the original because like honestly I like Crisis Core but it's goofy as hell and Dirge Cerberus is weird and kind of bad to play at certain moments but I kind of did have fun in the, the original but it's also dumb as hell the story is just stupid incredibly stupid so i don't know what the what the overall outlook is when we when we get through editions like this and then playing rebirth and then all all of that rolled together like are we going to be able to look at this extra stuff and be like oh yeah they they made it work or is it like oh wow yeah that's that's still
0: dumb they're going to have to make it work especially for the first act of of rebirth because if you remember in the original what happens? Well, we head over to Calm. We have a great big flashback. We go to the Chocobo farm. We cross the swamp with the Midgar Zolum, And that all happens very slowly in my memory. Mm. And so, like, I feel like we're going to need something to pick it up. Sure. Because there's no doubt that the Calm, I mean, th- the place is called Calm for a reason. Like, this is the downbeat. We're here to kind of gather ourselves after the huge six or eight hour intro to the game that was all of the Midgar sections that we're covering this season. Mm-hmm. And if you're starting a game on the downbeat, well, you're going to have to bring the downbeat up. My God, have you seen pictures of Calm? It looks like 80,000 people live in that city now. <laughs> Whereas in original, it looks like a community where, I don't know, maybe 50 people live yeah, in. Yeah,
1: It's an old school, Calm is a traditional like final fantasy one through three village stop you know you, you stop at the village and oh we sell the uh fire two here you know hmm. i think uh when you think about it the next real actual like plot beat of final fantasy seven after you leave midgar is kind of the the stop at gold saucer before temple of the ancients everything else is to service Individual character stories like figure out this guy's backstory, figure out that guy's backstory. Like it's a journey across the world of like self discovery, and so I think that's all great stuff. And then when you look at the side games, they're all kind of like they're very anime and they're very over the top and wacky, in my opinion. And it kind of Mm -hmm. breaks apart that nuance. Uh, we're tangenting a little bit here, but. All of that to say for me, the extra dungeon, if it's tapping into telling those stories of like the Nibelheim pods in a deeper way, that gives me a big thumbs up. If it's to give them a reason to what I'm going to guess is introduce deep ground into the narrative in either Integrate or Rebirth, that's going to give me kind of a, a a base level thumbs down unless they find a way to improve upon what all of that means. Didn't clarify for for me what they were trying to do with it. Other than maybe that one story beat of Cloud showing the others like, hey, this is Shinra. Guys, look at this shit. And then getting dragged
0: out by the plot. (laughs) Literally. By By the plot. I like how plot is analogous to the ghosts. Plot is diegetic in Rebirth oh my god nate shall we move on to chapter 14
1: more like chapter filler teen
0: chapter 14
1: <laughs> i uh named my stream episode of this uh done choreneo. <laughs> Because I'm so done with chores right now. And you know like uh, side questing is a complaint about this game. None of it's particularly bad in any way. It's just shouldn't have happened now in the story. Right? Tifa
0: makes you. She, she, She uses her rhetoric to put it upon you. Yeah. Once we go up
1: we won't have a chance to do all of this random shit. And it's like I think there were some, like, downbeats in the story where you could have found a place to put all of these. Where, you know, we're all kind of... We, we did have a big side quest session with Aerith in this area of the game previously. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it feels wrong to... We gotta go rescue Aerith. But also, what about this guy's uh, medicine? Yes. What about what about helping this news reporter about his story about the angel of the slums and it's like Earth could have 8000 needles in her right now guys. But let's go. Mm-hmm. It's it's very video gamey and and that's fine. You know, we we are playing a video game, but choices, man.
0: Choices, man. Chapter starts with Elmira taking in Wedge. We ask her for her help or her permission to help rescue, to rescue Aerith. I don't know if she's going to help us rescue Aerith, but she doesn't want to hear it, but she does let us stay over for the night. And Cloud uh, wakes up in the middle of the night, or does he wake up? Mm. And depending on your actions over the course of the entire game so far, you're going to have a conversation with one of three people Outside in the garden exterior of Elmira's house, Nate. Who did you get?
1: I got Aerith, man. Because I, Tyler, didn't fuck around with Aerith when i came to taking her flower. I, I thanked her for it. <laughs> I was gracious and kind, and listened to her. And yeah, and I, I also probably went to talk to her for I think I did because. You asked me about this. I went and talked to her first in the sewers as well. And you uh, messaged me here. You were surprised that this was a component at this stage in the game. Right. And I'd been talking to you over the course of this podcast that there is a shadow date game in remake, just like there was with the gold saucer shadow date game in original. It's another uh, example of the squishing of it was in the original, so we have to have it in a remake, even though we won't get to that part of the game.
0: I didn't realize it manifested like this. And I guess I didn't know. I mean, I only saw what I saw, and I guess if it was Tifa out there, then everyone must have had Tifa out there. But you knew that there was this was the manifestation of that mini-game in remake.
1: I didn't know it instinctively the first time I played the game because I didn't look up anything online. I didn't watch I got the game when it launched and I binged it, right? And then I was watching a YouTuber do his playthrough, just like in the background while I was working or whatever, and then all of a sudden I was just hit with, wait, what? What the fuck? Hey, And he had Tifa, and I was like, oh, uh, okay. And then it dawned on me, I was like, ah, right, right. This is the the Shadow Game moment.
0: So how did the conversation go?
1: So we get a scene where um, Cloud is outside in the... We walk down from the... um, Elmira's house outside into the uh, flower garden that surrounds her house. And Aerith is there. Cloud walks up and asks if this is real. And Aerith responds with, uh, I don't know, is it? They look on kind of over the horizon and they see, you know, this imagery kind of elicits the Aurora Borealis in our Perception of what we're looking at, but knowing what Midgar is, you wouldn't be seeing the skyline in that capacity. And so they don't say as much, but there's kind of like this audible gasp as they're looking, and it's kind of implied that this is the like soul energy of all the dead people in Sector Seven. Is that what you got from it
0: when you looked at it? Yeah, I think so.
1: Okay, so they're they're kind of ruminating on the fact that you know this incredibly terrible event happened um and not like totally sad but it is a somber monument between them and so they talk and uh Aerith is talking about how like she wants to control the reins of her own life and and live her life according to her choosing and not anybody else's and so i think that like you said the the galvanizing of cloud to go rescue her. She's saying like she made the choice to go there and she doesn't need him to come get her. But she also says, "I know you and I know that's not going to change what you're about to do. Like you're still going to come for me, aren't you?" And he basically is like, "Yeah. Yeah, I am." So, she tells us, you know, "Cloud, I'm I'm grateful for all the time and moments we've shared together and it's you mean the world to me and it's been amazing. And I'm kind of thinking like, you know, this is a very deep, heartful speech for people who've spent like two days together, right? So I'm getting more there's something deeper going on here in this scene, at least from Aerith's perspective. Cloud is still the the cloud we've been playing throughout the remake campaign. But I'm getting a deeper, more insightful Aerith than I would think that I would for my girl who's only known him for this long. Mm-hmm. But so she says to kind of cap off this point of hers, of despite how close they've grown with one another, she says, you have to promise you can't fall in love with me. But whatever happens, you can't fall in love with me. Even if you think you have, it's not real. I don't know that those kind of sentiments were ever uttered outright in OG like the idea that cloud was falling for her or that he loved her. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so that was like me the first time watching this. I was like, Oh shit. Dang. She just came right out and said it. That was the perception of what was happening between the two of them. And uh, cloud. He responds. He says, don't I get a say in this? And um, she says something along the lines of like, whatever you think is happening it's not real. Jeez, Cloud seems stunned by this, but um he he resolved to say like regardless he's coming to get her. So uh yeah, pretty incredibly like I don't even know how to describe it like if you came into this scene thinking you knew what was happening in cuz like this is a a retelling in a way of original Final Fantasy 7. This is one of the first moments, like, aside from all the other moments where we have this, like, sharp, like, wait, what the fuck is related to Dusty Ghosts or, like, Sephiroth, right? Like, this intrusive, dark Mm -hmm. element. For me, this was the first time that there was a moment coming from, like, our side of the camp, so to speak, where I, I was just like, wait, what? What what's happening here? Because we we know she's in the Shinra building. Like, have we ever seen Aerith Astral project before? And like dream walk, so to speak?
0: I think so. In original, I recall a dreamlike state that Cloud is in when he's at the Bone Village. Oh right. And she's running out towards the ancient capital and he's racing after her, but he's running in place
1: so we know she does have the ability to do this, but in an even more stark and like straightforward way than we remember from Mm -hmm. OG, you know? Cause like in OG that you're absolutely right. That is what it's happening in that uh, bone village scene. You could kind of interpret it as he dreamt that up, like from his knowledge of her, of her and who she is, that he hallucinated that. But if we take that scene and combine it with what's happening here, I think that it's kind of irrefutable that you would, you have to come to the conclusion that she's the one doing this. Like this is a technique of some sort, right?
0: I suppose the more we get to know her, the more magical she feels or seems. And now that he's aware that she's an ancient and has these special powers, that makes some sense. Or he might be projecting that fantasy girl sense upon her and manifesting that as a dream it's fascinating that it can be interpreted both Mm -hmm. ways it's a very nice play on the writer's part yeah one of those things that she says was whatever you're thinking this it isn't real but i forget the quote exactly and i gotta ask myself like why why couldn't cloud's love be real why does she get to tell cloud how he feels
1: can i go on a little bit of a example tangent here sure have you ever seen the original ghost in the shell movie animated movie from like 1996 or somewhere in there 99
0: uh, i'm ashamed to say no okay. it not
1: there's been multiple sequels and redos and scarlett johansson was involved and everything so uh you know it, it's been through the ringer a few times but the original there is a scene where they um they capture this truck driver or like garbage truck driver. And I forget all the specifics. I'm just going to kind of grab the most important detail here that he's inadvertently like working with a group of terrorists and he doesn't either he realizes it or he doesn't realize it. And so the ghost in the shell series is one where people have computers directly attached into their brains. There's this thing called a brain case, where you're like you have a computer case you have a brain case there's a computer wrapping your brain they cut open your head they put your brain in a thing they put it back in you now have internet everywhere right and um Hmm. you can have your brain hacked you can have memories implanted and so they find out this guy's got this picture of like a his his wife and child and the things he's fighting for and the reason he's doing what he's doing. And they pan off, they pan over to like the two detectives and they're like, you're looking at nothing. You were never married. You don't have a kid. These were all things that were planted in your head to get you to go through these actions that the terrorists want you to do. You
0: know, are you getting at like, these are actually Zach's, sensations that you're feeling yes
1: so i'm wondering if she you know knowing what she knows about the big picture of everything it's like there there's no real way to tell you know is cloud strife the boy from nibelheim is he the one falling for her or is he being overwhelmed with the nostalgia of another man that loves this woman right hmm and when it comes down to it, you know there's that classic battle of aerith or Tifa or whatever like maybe even aerith knows like cloud I know you, I know Zach Tifa's your girl cloud Zach is my guy unfortunately, the two of you are both sitting inside that body right now like that's that's big spoiler territory, but you know to to really address this issue i that's my best guess is where that dialogue
0: is coming from. Good answer. That makes a lot of sense. I personally feel
1: Tifa is Cloud's girl. Like as much I love Aerith. She's amazing. She's charming. She's wonderful. I think that Zach is her partner,
0: right? hmm So I got Tifa and I looked up everybody else's. So I'll just speak about Tifa's and then Barrett's. Actually, I'll do Barrett first because uh, I want to end on Tifa. So um, when you chat with Barrett, he's outside as well. Barrett tells Cloud that you should rest up, and Cloud bounces back with a likewise. And then Barrett says, nah, I'm good. Real good. And he begins to talk about miscellaneous Avalanche members that I've never heard of before. For example, Finn, the stamp graffiti artist or, or painter. Al, who's a code thief. And Nellie, a quartermaster, and she got along with Jesse. No Those dabs in the tunnels, Pins were everyone. Then there's Al, intel guy. He had these tricks for stealing gold. I still don't understand. Stole his share of hearts too. Our quartermaster Nellie had a good laugh at that. She was tight with Jesse. People sometimes took him for sisters, even. He's looking back, thinking fondly of these other Avalanche members that I've never heard of before. And I think it's a damn shame that he hasn't mentioned actual other Avalanche members I've heard of before. For example, I don't know, Biggs, (laughs) Jesse, and Wedge, or even Weimer. I guess Weimer wasn't really an Avalanche. He was a neighborhood watchman. But all the same, I'm not connecting with these names But Baird is fondly remembering them, and he says, Yeah, they'll all be fine. They're strong and tough like me. After we save Aerith, I'll introduce you to them. And as the conversation comes to an end, they develop some more camaraderie than they probably had before. For example, Baird says, I never thought I'd feel better after talking with your hard-boiled ass. And Cloud asks him, Do you think you can sleep now? And he's like, Yeah, like a baby so that's barrett
1: i think it's interesting too after this point even though i didn't get the scene one thing i noticed running around these zones and getting into fights and everything uh, cloud and barrett's banter has been completely replaced as far as previous like chapters where they're kind of ribbing on each other or annoyed by each other or whatever in combat uh they enjoy each other's actions and like amp each other up and talk each other up and mm. congratulate each other in combat. So I feel like there is this, even though if you don't have the scene, there is this growing camaraderie between the two where they have like a mutual respect now.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that comes to a head at the end of the chapter. Mm-hmm. They pep each other up before they do the thing that completes the end of the chapter. There is a full circle sort of comment where Barrett says something like, like, I get you now. Mm-hmm. I get you now which has been hard to do getting cloud. But let's talk about Tifa. So she's out there in the in the garden area and Cloud Moses up to her. Haha. <laughs> and she says that flower you gave me the other night. That was from Aerith, wasn't it? And she suspects that because well Cloud isn't one to buy flowers in the first place and Tifa knows that this particular flower symbolizes reunion. If you try to keep that flower alive but since we're equating the flower with reunion let's let's ride the analogy and say she tried to keep their reunion alive but now the flower is dead and buried the reunion their reunion maybe is dead and buried like the bar and everyone else
1: they symbolize reunion believe it or not i was curious so i looked it up i tried to keep it alive as long as i could but now It's dead and buried. Like the bar. Our home. And everything else.
0: She's sniffling. She's losing her composure. Then she begins to straight up sob against Cloud's chest. They took everything from us. Cloud isn't touching her. And then the picture kind of pans out. So we kind of capture this quiet moment in the darkness. Then it comes back in and Cloud hugs her. She begins to calm. And then a moment later, she goes, Cloud, Cloud, you're hurting me. So we're to infer that something's going on in Cloud's head that is causing him to feel maybe extra tender or, I don't know, out of control of himself because he's squeezing. And she's a tough girl, by the way. I can't Mm -hmm. imagine, like, any amount of strength is actually going to hurt her to a point where she'd, like, have to yelp uh, for help uh, rather than, I don't know, give him a elbow in the nose. (laughs) I wouldn't want to get elbowed by Tifa. She's got fucking ballpoint hammers, I'm sure. And she disengages from the hug and she goes, crying's a waste of time. And Klaus says, no, that's not true. Mm. And that makes her feel better. And she says, thank you. And that's about it.
1: Mm, Interesting.
0: I don't have a huge read on the Tifa and Barrett ones like you do of Aerith.
1: I don't know that I do either from what you're sharing with me. Mm Mm-hmm. It's weird because Cloud and Tifa share the most in common not only because of their childhood but like the the way in which they lost their parents, lost their home, are displaced from where they came up by the Shinra Corporation. Mm-hmm. Cloud kind of by choosing, but Tifa by circumstance. They have more in common than say like Aerith. Would because earth has this like persecution thing going on specifically and so i think that i don't i don't really know like if from what i'm reading out of this scene like i don't know that there's like a really deep connection to be had between the two of them in this respect of like i lost my bar cloud like you know i i feel like maybe a good direction to take it would have been to have them, I guess the take everything from us could go back to Nibelheim, but that's more of a Sephiroth thing. So maybe she blames Shinra for Sephiroth as well. Um, And by that standard, she says, means they took everything from us. Hmm. I feel like Nibelheim would have been a better, but we also know that Tifa, OG7 Tifa, is kind of scared to talk about Nibelheim with Cloud. Mhm. I'm circling around trying to analyze this and thinking that like Nibelheim would have been a stronger route to go than I lost my bar <laughs> and my friends, you know. And that is traumatic that their friends die, but like Cloud met these people a couple days ago. Even if you've been here for years, Tifa, like I feel like Nibelheim's the stronger glue between them.
0: Maybe the writers missed the mark, maybe they nailed it with Aerith and they were floundering with Maybe they wanted to get into the nibelheim incident or wanted to touch on, I don't know, the pact under the water tower. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Forces wouldn't allow them. Maybe there's, because sometimes you write yourself into certain corners where you're, there are, there are constraints mm. on what you can and can't do. And maybe we just didn't get a very satisfying conversation.
1: Yeah. Like the crying's a waste of time and that's not true and everything like, there's this route of like you could go with her saying like just spitball. I'm making this up on the spot. This is not on her notes, but like Tifa could say like, "Cloud, you know the the promise. I don't need you to be my hero anymore." Like, oh, that would have been amazing. This is more than you ever signed up for, right? All the death and the destruction. There's the aurora borealis firing off in the background as they're saying this, right? Like the literal sign of everyone dying around them because of the weight of she doesn't even want to be a part of this avalanche mm-hmm. right this isn't her path but she can't get off of it from one thing to the next and now they're gonna go rescue erith she's being pulled back in and so she could say like something along the lines of like i know you made the promise cloud but this i didn't have this in mind this isn't what you signed up for when i said that this is too much like you can go
0: that's amazing
1: and that's the moment where cloud can say like again making it up like just spitballing but like instead of him saying like not these exact words but like fuck the promise like you're why i'm here right Mm -hmm. that pulls me in like oh that's an oh shit moment for me tifa it's not about some promise i'm not like obligated to you I'm choosing, right?
0: Nate, I like how in your example, you've matched the parallelism with the Aerith conversation where whichever one's your girl, they're both releasing you from them. hmm I think that's great. Hey gang, we are going to take a break right here and pick up where the conversation left off next time at the start of part two. See you then. Tyler and Nate out.